Hello and welcome back to Callum and David's Any Requests podcast. This is, of course, our weekly Patreon requested podcast where you, the listener, can donate £5 a month and get us to do a podcast on absolutely anything you desire. You tell no lies, David. That is entirely correct. And this week we are back with one of our favourite programmes. I would say one of my favourite programmes of the last decade. Uh, Absolutely, yes. So uh, we are back again with uh, our Patreon patron, uh, James, who uh, listeners might remember uh, we, uh, several weeks ago, uh, I think it was two previous uh, cycles ago when we were last with James, we explained he sent us a big long list uh, in advance for us to kind of every time we got (laughs) round to him to pick which ones. And... uh, somewhat amazingly and another reason why we're still not 100% sure James really exists and it's it's one of us it's one of us and we're lying to each other yeah Yeah. um uh it's because it is a list of of kind of our happen to be a lot of our favorite things anyway so uh we have uh this week uh opted to look at uh, as Callum said one of our absolute favorite shows of all time I, I was thinking about this I think it may well be in like my top five favorite tv shows ever i think it's yeah it's a masterpiece and it is inside number nine inside number nine um this is a can i just say i always i've only just thought about this but often when we do these intros Mm -hmm. uh i'll like build up to and then i announce what the thing is but i've never thought they already know because it's the title of the podcast yeah. so that's not a surprise to anyone that we're talking but we about do that afterwards. yeah yeah so <laughs> i always think they're not gonna know until <laughs> and guess what it's this you go well yeah no i know that's why i clicked on it, <laughs> that's why I clicked yeah. On it. <laughs> yeah um surprise we should start lying we should start just saying oh it's about fly fishing i mean that'd be great for our um our optics yeah. on, yeah, uh, on absolutely. that um Inside number nine, for those of you who aren't aware, um, which again would be confusing now because mm-hmm. we've just talked about the fact that you clicked on it probably for that reason, um, is a, a black comedy anthology um, made by the BBC uh, by Adam Tandy, Reese Shearsmith and uh, Steve Pemberton. Now, Steve Pemberton and Reese Shearsmith pretty much, I would say because of this programme, are known by pretty much everyone. Yeah. However, uh, for me, uh, it was it was League of Gentlemen um, on radio um, because my dad used to listen to, he constantly listens to Radio 4. He's one of these people who constantly have Radio 4 on in, in the background. He says that's where he got his education from because he sure. never went to, uh, uh, he, he kind of left school at 15 and he, he kind of always loves that. But he, he really, really loved the, the half-hour kind of comedy um, programmes. And League of Gentlemen, of course, started on there, which not a lot of people realise. Mm-hmm. Um, featuring Steve Hemerton, Reese Shearsmith, Mark Gatiss, um, and uh, Jeremy Dyson. Yeah. Um, the, the four League of Gentlemen. And it was a kind of a comedy sketch show, right? Yeah, um, just to actually say, it didn't start there. It started as a stage play. Oh, of course, yes. It no, was, you're right. It started in the theatre first. Um, so... Shearsmith, Pemberton uh, and Gattis all uh, met whilst training. They went to Bretton Hall, which sadly no longer exists, but used to be a great kind of northern powerhouse drama school. Uh, John Godber, Richard O'Brien, the late 
great to Ken Robinson, um, lots of people, not just in the world of theatre, but like Ken Robinson, the world of education. Um, Wayne McGregor, the choreographer, um, went there. And yeah, um, amazing kind of uh, alumni list. Um, but yeah, it was merged, I think, in 2001 into the University of Leeds, and then it was kind of shut down altogether in 2007, I think. That's really so, sad. Yeah, but um, yeah, they, they all met whilst, the three of them met whilst training there. Then, yeah, they started to um, kind of, yeah, create this sketch show called league of gentlemen that became very popular kind of cult edinburgh fringe hit uh bbc yeah. radio commissioner ended up seeing that paired them up with jeremy dyson and then you got the radio show kind of came out of that and then subsequently the tv show there you are i've, yeah. I've forgotten actually that um they used to do regular nights at the canal cafe yeah. um yeah where, where i've done quite a lot of work if you don't know great little comedy venue and i, I in think North London. i think it's important to um mention that because i think we'll as we'll probably talk about uh theater is so important to them and to their work Mm -hmm. and i think one of the reasons why i think we both love this show so much is so many of the episodes of inside number nine are so unashamedly love letters to the world of theater and to Mm -hmm. theatrical devices and it's often um quite a uh seen as quite a risky thing to do because the perception is when you make film and tv and you want it to be commercially successful you you kind of don't want it to feel theatrical because that can that's often seen as 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 a negative connotation of being oh it feels very pantomime-esque or it feels yeah you know very stagey uh, kind of words that are used um in kind of pejorative ways a lot from like tv commissioners and film producers and things like that so for them to be really un kind of unapologetically theatrical in what they make as someone you know both of us whose work is predominantly in the world of theater and live arts it's just so nice and i think validating mm. that, that there you, you you know there was an episode in this most recent season that was wholly based in commedia dell'arte which is something that you probably average bbc this um, yeah. watcher isn't going to know a huge deal about and so they're they're bringing that to more mainstream audiences which is just lovely yeah and i think there's a real um, and we'll talk about this a lot you know the, the the whole thing of of anything that um that involves uh pemberton or shearsmith is is tongue-in-cheek um yeah. but the the love that it is a love letter um a lot of their stuff to to theater and live performance but also very much a satire of that as well and i think that helps it bring it into the mainstream so a lot of people think that theatre is hoity-toity and yeah. self-congratulatory yeah. and uh, masturbatory and and actually what they do is is really celebrate uh all of those cliches and bring it back to the core of what it is and i think you saw that with uh, legs akimbo i was just about to say yeah league of gentlemen um, the character of ollie plimsolls is what is the most accurate depiction mm-hmm. of an amdram director that there has ever like yeah. they just know and and it means that yeah I, from the minute i Got into League of Gentlemen, and and I think that the the Legs of Kimbo stuff has to be my favourite actually yeah. of, of, of all of it. And just going because so often people try and parody, uh, Amdram or or theatre the theatre world, and they're so wide of the mark. And this just got it because you can see they love it as well. It's not just a sending up and a and a kind of pointing and laughing at. It's it's a laughing with and it's embracing. That wonderful world as well, you know, as, as someone that, that really came up in, in the Amdram scene locally when I was growing up, you know, I'm someone that that sees a lot of the uh, uh, humour in that world, but also has a lot of love and respect for that world as well. And you can see that in Legal Gentlemen and those Legs of Kimbo things. Yeah, it's, it's made with love. And I yeah. think that is something that... Um... 
that uh, that will be apparent as we kind of talk through some of our favourite uh, Inside Number Nine um, episodes. I was kind of uh, interested as well. We, we talked about League of Gentlemen and, mm-hmm. and the kind of how Shearsmith and, and uh, um, Pemberton kind of got to got together. But after League of Gentlemen ended, um, Jeremy Dyson kind of went off and did did his own thing. Um, yeah. As did Mark Gatiss, mm-hmm. um, got involved with Doctor Who a great yeah. deal and and started kind of looking at more yeah. drama based stuff yeah, rather than exclusively comedy with uh, Stephen Moffat. Yes, and, yeah. yeah. And Sherlock as well, and yeah, um, and Jeremy Dyson went off and, and created kind of works with Andy Nyman and Ghost and Stories. Ghost yeah. Stories. He's a big fan of of that magic, and um, and then Stephen uh, uh, and Risa are kind of left to their own devices mm-hmm. and and come up with Psychoville. Yeah, which yeah. is something we have to talk about because a- a- you don't get from League of Gentlemen to Inside Number Nine without without going through Psychoville. Well, I think this is a really interesting thing, and I and I struggle to think of another example where someone's work has had such a clear trajectory that that one informs the next thing. Yeah, it's like without without League of Gentlemen, without you know, especially characters like Tubbs and the darker characters within League of Gentlemen, you wouldn't have got Psychoville. No. And and in a very literal sense, you would not have got Inside Number Nine without Psychoville because it was a specific episode of Psychoville that inspired the idea to make Inside Number Nine. Um, yeah, so this is the uh, the the rope homage, yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, uh, I believe the episode's called David and Maureen. Which I was about to say is... I can't quite remember, but it's the two of yeah, them in in one room. Just the episode, yeah, yeah. Um, so. Uh, David Sauerbutz is uh, a serial killer and has this sort of weird incestuous relationship with his mum where his mum's sort of predatory towards him because he's obviously not Mm -hmm. compus mentis and it's right and it's a comedy Uh, (laughs) but uh, but, but, but with them very very dark uh, uh, obviously as well and um, yeah there is an episode uh, uh, where he brings a body back to their little sort of bedsit flat that they live in and Mark Gatiss is actually in this episode which is lovely to see the three of them yeah as well back because of that history of legal gentlemen and everything it's uh, and he and he comes in playing a detective and it's yeah. all about hiding this body from him um so yeah it's very rope it's also very um arsenic and old lace uh as well with kind of hiding the bodies and things like that and um, that's when you see the comedy and the hitchcockian horror yeah. really well not even horror but dark thriller really yeah mesh in yeah. psycho but yeah the, the the main thing to note is it's a bottle episode which i think we've talked about on this podcast before mm-hmm. so it's essentially uh, an episode that's largely in real time and um, more importantly in one location um yeah. and that's what really excited Shearsmith and pemberton when they were thinking about uh their next project after psychoville um was was something that they could create that was yeah set in one location um <laughs> can i tell you a little theory i have about psychoville yeah because for those of you who aren't aware it's, it's kind of loosely based on the idea that in this particular uh area um there was a mental institution a hospital um for the kind of uh mentally ill um and at some point there was an accident where everyone escaped from the mental asylum and then yeah. kind of integrated into society meaning that this one location has lots of dubious crimes happening which essentially if that was the backstory for midsummer murders it would make more sense of why so <laughs> yeah. many people die yeah. in midsummer but it's that kind of idea but i'm also really acutely aware that pemberton and Shearsmith smith and the league of gentlemen uh, in general um 
were coming out of Breton Hall in the 80s and very aware of what it's like to be a northern uh, working class actor living in London and having this um, kind of class divide and also in the backdrop of Thatcher and the care and the community policy was very much about taking people out of mental institutions and the responsibility should be loved ones but often that isn't the case people can't or, or, or don't have a family to fall back on and one of the things that we saw quite a lot in what well, we didn't because we weren't alive but uh the in, in the 80s and into the 90s you saw a great deal of um kind of mental illness not being controlled or medicated in the same way because that funding was cut yeah. and the responsibility was taken out of hospitalization so i have a theory and i don't know where this comes i don't know whether this is true or not that maybe psychoville comes out of that political backdrop i mean yeah yeah having seen you know tons of interviews with them both and and having a good understanding of their own sort of political alignments and things i would almost say certainly that's, that's it would make sense think, wouldn't it yeah, yeah. yeah. but yeah. i'm just aware that i'm, I'm there i haven't i don't know if they've said that so it's not no, it's very much my I, opinion yeah I, I i can definitely see there's a but it just means that underneath that great comedy and the genre bending and the creativity and undoubtedly you know the, the great acting that's going on you also have this kind of political sense of responsibility and there's always a slight nod to wider society in the world in which we all live as an audience and i think that that carries through heavily in psychoville even more so than league and i think it, it's really prevalent in, yeah. in inside number nine as well so it's another example of that trajectory you were talking about uh, absolutely and i think so yeah so psychoville finished in 2012 um and then you had this kind of two-year period where they um, received a, a commission to create a new series for the BBC. But they weren't sure what that was going to be. Um, then they kind of, yeah, were thinking about the episode of Psychoville. were really excited by that. Um, I was reading an interview with them and they just, Pemberton especially, was just talking about how he realised that it was odd that in the 70s and 80s, the um, anthology series was so popular when you had like uh, Tales of the Unexpected that was our yeah. very first Patreon podcast. Um, uh, but you know, also over in the states, Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, all those kind mm-hmm. of shows. Um, uh, to, uh, Tales from the Crypt and oh, forgot about yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Um, so all these kind of things going on um, uh, were really popular in the seventies and eighties, and then that it kind of fizzled out, and and largely apparently it's it's financial because to make an anthology series which for those of you who don't know is basically it's a series where it's a, a standalone story with different casts every episode um but because of that obviously it's a lot more expensive because you're paying a whole host of new people every single week yeah rather than you wouldn't be giving someone you know a series salary yeah which is ultimately going to be less than what you'd be paying a one-off fee yeah. and 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 you know because they're wanting to sell the show, every episode in turn number nine is a pretty big, at least one pretty well-known actor in, in every yeah. single episode. Um, so, so their way around that, because the BBC were quite reticent at first because of that idea, was to say, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll completely dramatically lower your budget in terms of location. Mm-hmm because everything's going to be set in in either one room or, or or very kind of yeah one singular space um and so actually it ended up balancing out and they looked at that and said okay actually financially that could work for us um but it also meant that those early uh couple of seasons quite a few of the episodes they actually used um uh, I can't remember which episode it is. Oh, yes, it's the uh Nan's birthday, I think it's called. Na- na- Nana's party. Nana's party. 
it was a a, a sitcom pilot script that never got picked up right. and there's a few episodes that they actually went back to earlier stuff because they could because yeah. it was one standalone story out. and yeah so that was really interesting as well yeah i, I remember um uh, there, there was an interview at the bfi with with rishi smith pemberton and uh and adam tandy the producer and mm-hmm. they were saying one of the frustrating things is that also because psychoville was a half hour comedy there's a BBC budget for half-hour sitcoms. Yeah. So they were saying, well, we're doing anthology work on the same budget as something like Miranda, for example. There's exactly the same amount of time allotted yeah. for that. Now, you'd look at Miranda and you'd say, well, that looks pretty damn cheap. You know, yeah. we've got very, you know, cheap... Cut, and it's part of almost in, the charm or not going more than, out. Or, more than know. one way. Yeah, in, yeah, in more <laughs> than one way. Um, and... and and what they create, uh, Pemberton and, and Shearsmith both actually said, you know, that a lot of what you're seeing and the quality of what you're seeing, a lot of it is down to Adam as well because mm-hmm. of his ability to be able to manipulate that budget and, you know, creatively produce in yeah. order to make the quality of the episodes yeah. you're seeing, which are, you know, film level stuff quite a lot yeah. of the time uh, compared to your Lee Mac and your Mirandas and your, yeah. you know, your, your very kind of cheap cereal box set. Um, productions yeah so I, I just think it's always worth mentioning Adam a little bit because they yeah. do a lot yeah um, uh, and of course he was Psychoville uh, yeah. and and detectorists and so many of the good things yeah. you go oh he's attached to it like yeah, yeah. what a dude but I, and, and I think it's just lovely to see again speaking about the trajectory um, with with Pemberton and Shearsmith there I mean, it sounds so patronising because they're far older and more successful than we are, but but still kind of seeing them really grow into who they can be as creatives yeah. from League of Gentlemen through into Psychoville through to, to now where they're exploring so many big and different ideas and themes and genres. And, and it feels like this body of work now is is a real work of genius and I think is a masterpiece. Um in, in, in a way that as much... I mean, I, I adore Psychoville. I actually think I prefer Psychoville to League of Gentlemen, which is a controversial opinion for a lot of people, but <laughs> I absolutely adore Psychoville, and I obviously love League of Gentlemen. Um, and it's a wonderful bit of, of, of uh, bizarre comedic writing. Um, but I think the breadth and, 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 and the depth and the level of detail and nuance in the writing of all these episodes... Um, in six seasons is is just i think warrants using the phrase masterpiece um, yeah. in a way that i wouldn't with with psychobilly or or, or league absolutely yeah completely so the other thing that i love about inside number nine um uh, just before we jump into the episodes mm-hmm. is the transformation of reese smith and steve pemberton they really embrace that theatricality, That's not it. just They're in the writing. Kids, aren't they? And they they, they love dressing grown up. up. They like, love dressing up yeah. in wigs unnecessarily sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Rishi Smith, I'm talking to you. <laughs> Why do you wear a wig of your own hair in every single thing? <laughs> so weird. Um, but but they, yeah, they love that dressing up and performing. And, and I think there's something that audiences universally really enjoy. I mean, I, I kind of hate the word transformative performance or transformational performance when it comes to Oscar season. Because I'm like, mm. just because you've got a good hair and makeup doesn't mean you're... You're there. I really appreciated Gary Oldman uh, yeah. getting the uh, the award for for um, Win- Winston Churchill, mm. and he just went. This uh, this award goes to my hair and makeup guy, yeah. and he's got a hair and makeup guy who does all of his films because he trusts him. And he's like, 
yeah, you are giving awards for that a lot. Yeah. In Inside Number Nine, you're not yeah. uh, at all. But it is something that universally, I think people really enjoy seeing the same actor com- play completely different characters, accents, physicality, mm-hmm. um, you know, appearance. Um, there's something really old fashioned and lovely about that. And I just wish we had more of it. I'm sick of seeing actors play just themselves in everything they do. I think for me as well, it adds to that kind of repertory feeling that Inside Number Nine has. Um, That's a really good point, yeah. It, 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 it feels like, you know, because often, you know, with with especially in, in the kind of heyday of, of uh, rep, rep theatre, especially when you're looking at kind of more smaller regional rep theatres, you would largely have the same audiences would come and see multiple plays, maybe even see two different shows on the same night with the same cast. So the idea of making people up quite differently Mm -hmm. to make it easier for the audience to understand that it's a different play, they're playing a different character is, is would be quite an important, was an important part of rep theater. And, and so there's again, yeah, that kind of theatricality that, that, that comes through. And, um, and I think as well, it's, I, I, I mean, I don't, I think this is just a more broader, um, uh, thing that i've noticed rather than i don't think necessarily inside number nine has any particular specific influence on this but it is just interesting now speaking about anthology series when you look at things like american horror story which started round about the same time um as inside number nine Gosh, and, black, did it, yeah. and black mirror as well mm. that it, that it, we're in this kind of renaissance and um i think you know in america i think probably the most similar thing would be Room, room 104 that the new past brother created yeah. that you yeah. and I love as well um, that's a wonderful series check yeah. out Room 104 yeah um, uh, and I think that's probably the closest in terms of America uh, that, that has come to to Inside Number 9 um, and, and it's just really interesting now that there seems to be a real appetite for this yeah the, these anthology shows shows with I mean American Horror Story is a little different because it's an anthology it's a whole series rather than each episode is standalone. So you don't yeah. get that kind of bottle episode thing so much. But certainly Black Mirror, certainly Room 104, certainly what Jordan Peele's done with the new Twilight Zone. Um, yeah, it's yeah. just really nice because I love it because it feels theatrical. Shall we get on to our episodes? Absolutely, I think so. Um, I just, just one last thing to say, I think, uh, yeah. generally about the series, um, which is something I, I said to you yesterday when we were talking about doing this. Um, I genuinely cannot think maybe with the exception of actually it's always sunny in philadelphia of a show that has managed to say it's consistently high quality yeah and 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 i think even with it's always sunny it's 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 a it's a comedy with a similar style of humor all the way through which does make it easier to maintain that level because it's the same writers writing and they're not going to have suddenly wake up and have a different sense of humor so it's kind Mm -hmm. of a because they've been left and no one's interfered with that show it's been able to maintain that consistency to have an anthology series where you're every single episode you are deliberately trying something different and for every single episode in now what are we 34 episodes something like that i think um for every single one to be brilliant um you know i think i said to you I i was reading back through all of them to pick my favorites out and there's one there's one episode in 30 odd episodes that i went i don't think that one was quite hit the marks that the others did um and that's it and that's i mean that's an unbelievable feat it it just it it is astonishing um because it's 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 like it's like it's like a film director making 30 odd brilliant films because they are half an hour standalone films 
Yeah. It's, so it, it's even more than a TV series being consistently good for six seasons, which isn't that difficult to do. It's it's thirty odd separate short films mm-hmm. made by the same people that are completely different that have all been brilliant and yeah. that's that i just think it's inc- i don't know how they do it i really don't they're just geniuses yeah they they really are and i think um you know we'll talk about their process a little bit and and uh kind of insights into that, that they've they've given um as we go through um but we've both picked a kind of top three which is very difficult to do out yeah. of 30 yeah. each and then i've got quite a long list of honourable mentions that yeah, I want to too. talk about as well. Me too. Um, but I was interested, are you going from your, your three to one, yeah? Yeah. So what is your third favourite Inside Number Nine yeah. episode? This is this is really hard. And I... <sighs> I've changed my list quite a few yeah. times. So the reason, the reason why this is particularly hard is because there are two episodes that evoke the same thing for me and that's why i'm finding it really hard to pick between the two but i think ultimately i'm gonna go for zanzibar which is the opening episode of season four um and it is a joy it is a uh, half an hour shakespearean comedy and in that, in the sense that it's everything, every line is an iambic pentameter. Every right? line is an every line is I am an iambic pentameter. The whole thing is in verse, more so, I believe, than any Shakespeare play has actually ever been, because it is completely in verse to the There's point no of blank ending there, yeah. ending with rhyming couplets the whole half an hour through, which I which which ended up at certain points. I rewatched it this morning and. It ends up at certain points kind of going beyond Shakespeare and there's elements that sound almost like Stephen Sondheim because there's yeah. so many internal rhymes in there yeah. to, to, to get that in. Um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a stunning piece of work. It is um, It has all the tropes of a Shakespeare comedy. It has all the, the uh, archetypes uh, in terms of characters of a Shakespearean comedy. It's a story set specifically in the hallway of a hotel on the ninth floor, which is where you get the number nine from, which is another really fun thing is to every episode. How are they going to get, how is it going to be inside a number nine? Because yeah. you can't just be in a flat every episode for six seasons. Mm-hmm. So that's a really fun thing as well as to see how they make that work and what different number nines you can get. So it's inside the ninth floor, but it's all in the hallway between rooms. So there's not one point you ever see inside anyone's room in the whole episode. Yeah. Everything's just people going out of their doorways and what happens in the hall. And you've got twins. You've got mistaken identity. Mm-hmm. You've got a, um, you know, kind of... Uh, Feste-esque Greek chorus bellboy that explains mm-hmm. what's going on to the audience as it happens. You've got Kevin Eldon playing this hypnotist who is the sort of Malvolio-like kind of pompous comedic foil mm-hmm. that doesn't know he's the comedic foil. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, you've got all those characters there. It, it, it is... It is very much specifically on a March to Twelfth Night. I, I was going to say um, it's a, a lot of Twelfth Night, a lot of Twelfth Night, but Nights. also Comedy of Errors. Yeah, Midsummer Night's Dream as well is in there yeah. with the, the the there's a, a potion, a love potion that <laughs> yeah. comes into play at one point. Um, uh, yeah, it's but it's it's just the most wonderful love letter to Shakespeare, and I think you know if I was 
if I was a GCSE English teacher, um, I'd kill myself. No, I would. Um, <laughs> I would uh, show this, you know, when talking about Shakespeare, because I think as a kid, you would get excited about this episode of Inside Number Nine in a way that you wouldn't necessarily get excited about, about Shakespeare, in a way you wouldn't even necessarily get excited about, you know, what Baz Luhrmann's done with it, or, you know, yeah. the, the Ethan Hawke Hamlet, or, you know, you can, you, you know, when you're trying to teach kids about Shakespeare, you go to those things because you go, oh, this is a way to trick them. Yeah. Um, and they kind of see through it because kids are smart. But this is, this is, because it's, you know, and I'd say the same thing maybe about, um, uh, so I don't think you could talk about this episode about Mike Bartlett's Charles the Third as well, which is a which that's is a, a really good point genius piece of, of kind of contemporary uh, Shakespeare, um, because the story is contemporary set, but the lang and and the language and there are words that are contemporary words that Shakespeare wouldn't have used, mm -hmm. but the verse and the rhythm and yeah. the iambic is all there. I think I was watching. I was like, this is a, such a great key in to understanding why shakespeare is genius because it's also showing you as well all those tropes and all and the structure and you can see in a really clear way why shakespeare was a genius yeah. from this episode um and that's why I, I adore it but at the same time the episode isn't saying uh we're geniuses and shakespeare's a genius and you can only get that if it's high art actually what it's saying is how hilarious is it watching watching all these tropes thrown together yeah and it's kind of a real tongue-in-cheek um, kind of piss take of elements of that classical uh, verse uh, dominated kind of Shakespearean structure and at the same time it doesn't feel it's laughing at it, it feels like it's laughing with it and that's something that you said you know earlier that yeah. I think they do consistently with whatever genre they tend to kind of yeah. look at they they never take they take the work seriously but not themselves seriously yeah. and that's something I say all the time to people and, yeah and, and, and if you don't think you know if you don't think Shakespeare has influenced every single piece of, of of live and recorded drama since his life like watch this episode because mm -hmm. you see in this episode carry on films only fools and horses you know all these different tropes of comedy yeah. are there and you and it shows you that all of those come from shakespeare yeah um, I, I was gonna say the other thing you know it's slammed or fast as well because you've got all the doors in in those corridors and the timing is. of that yeah. episode and the length of those shots yeah. requires actors who understand a little bit about fast and what that timing is with fast yeah um and yeah you mentioned things like carry on which kind of yeah. you know play into that um but but really go see a live slammed or fast if you can even a bad one because you'll you'll you know, often they're not necessarily the the highest uh, highfalutin kind of subject matter, but the skill involved in the actors of executing that is something that's really satisfying, and I think that comes across in this episode too. Yeah, and 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 should have yeah briefly talk about the, the wonderful cast with people like uh, Rory Kinnear, who I just am fascinated by because I've never known an actor who is either like world class. Or just so hammy and stiff, yeah. like depending on how much he cares. Because <laughs> yeah. like I've seen him on stage twice, both times I was utterly disappointed. Uh, yeah. His his Macbeth was dreadful and he didn't get it at all. And um, he was woefully miscast in Throckmorton. Woefully miscast in Throckmorton Opera. But yeah, he is glorious in this. Um, uh, he's he's wonderful in the in the Black Mirror um, as the minister. Um, you know, he, he there's so many things he's so good in. And yet there's things like the plays I've seen him in, 
Penny Dreadful, he hams up, but that's a hammy tongue-in-cheek show anyway. But I'm, I'm, yeah. Uh, years and years was was slightly odd performance. I just find I'm just show. because it's because he when he is good, he's amazing. I'm mm-hmm. like, it's yeah, but yeah. He I think it does it. depend on whether he cares about but, the beast. Um, or, yeah, obviously. but he is. He's 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 great in this, and he gets it and. And Bill Patterson is just amazing in this as well, as he is in everything. Yeah, but, I mean, not always. He's always good in whatever he's in, but mm. I feel like he's not in enough stuff that is good enough for me to warrant watching it. <laughs> yeah. And, and this is a really lovely thing to go, ah, yeah. oh, he's getting some respect here. Yeah. And that's what Inside Number 9 has become yeah. for so many uh, well-known actors who who kind of join the ensemble of that is Stephen Reese yeah. in the duo, but it feels like an ensemble in itself, like an existing ensemble, even though yeah. it's just two of them, um, is that they constantly now have have kind of a constant steady flow of big name uh, actors wanting to do this show. And he yeah. said that's, a, that, you know, they, they said in that BFI interview, what a joy it, it is for them to be going, oh my goodness, we've got to write something for so-and-so because they get to work with some of their heroes or people yeah. that they've really admired. Um, and people who have kind of gone traditional routes of RADA or, or the RSC and, yeah. and the National Theatre and, and these are kind of two working class northern guys from Bretton Hall from a drama school that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. You know, I think there's something really nice about the fact that they've written something that is unpretentious, doesn't take itself seriously, but is incredibly well skilled. And as a result, everyone from all walks of life within this industry want flock to it and want to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a, yeah, really, really good. Um yeah, I, I think there's some lovely things. The, the music in that episode is really mm-hmm. nice. There's some really kind of clever underscore um, and the direction in that episode as well, being yeah. that just that corridor. How do you make that corridor so interesting? Yeah. It's yeah, just yeah, a one yeah. place. Yeah. Like, it's, that's the most annoying thing to film, surely. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, really, really clever. Um, great. Great episode. Yeah. Really good. Right. Okay. On to your third. Oh, um, Bronze my- medal. Third favourite um, is the episode Tom and Jerry. <laughs> this is the uh, third episode of uh, season uh, season one. Yeah, third episode ever of Inside Number Nine. And it, I think the reason I picked it is twofold. One, it, it's all right, it's brilliant. Two, it was the first episode where I went, oh my goodness, they're geniuses. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's not just funny and clever it's mm-hmm. brilliant and mm-hmm. I, I the impact stayed with me um this is an episode about two uh two men called tom and jerry um who uh so tom lives in a flat on his own and one day gets a knock on the door from uh, uh well it, it starts with him outside doesn't it and he kind of interacts with this character called jerry i need to stop you here yeah i is is it are they called tom and jerry or is jerry tom's girlfriend because i think i've made this oh maybe i have because it's it's g it's spelt like jerry halliwell it's not spelt the male jerry i think i think reese i think that's a thing that they're subverting it slightly oh i see he got that memory i'll I'll check that and come back to it because i don't think he's called jerry well, we'll we'll double check it. But um, there are these uh, two characters, and one of them is homeless, and he's kind of very kind of meek and mild and and calm, and he ends up uh, kind of tugging at the heartstrings of Reece Shearsmith's character, um, and he kind of slowly Reece Shearsmith starts to kind of give him you know some help, 
um, and takes pity on, tries to kind of call people, tries to give them some money, some food. And slowly over time... Yeah, so Jerry is uh, Tom's girlfriend, yeah, played by Gemma Arterton, you're and right. Mig is the Mig, name of... thank you, sorry. Yeah. Mig is the name of the Pemberton uh, character of the homeless man. Um, and slowly Mig takes over Tom's life and moves in to the flat. Um, and as a result of his kind of very carefully controlling behaviour, Mig manages to convince Tom that actually he's the one who's screwed up. He's the one who hasn't got anything going from his mm. life. And he becomes agoraphobic and eventually kind of homeless because yeah. Mig is like, they... I don't think you can stay here anymore, yeah. Tom. Even though it was Tom's flat by the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Um, and it's just a very cleverly written slow burn because how do you do that? That story of months and months in, in half an hour. How do you introduce us to these people and make us believe that they can go on this journey in such a, such a short space of time? I think it's um, really, really phenomenal. And it's also something I like about this episode because often the whole thing of Inside Number Nine is there's a twist. I was right? about to say, well, yeah, we haven't actually mentioned that one, yeah, one of the most overarching themes of the whole series is yeah. the twist. It's become famous for it. What's the twist at the end going to yeah. be? And this is the first episode I saw, and it's quite rare that they do this, where the twist isn't a, a sudden twist at the end, mm-hmm. quite so much mm-hmm. as it is a slow-burning twist mm-hmm. that's been happening the whole time in front of you. You've just not mm-hmm. quite caught up with it mm-hmm. uh, as fast as they have. And I think there's something really satisfying about this being a slow twist rather than a quick one. Yeah. Um, I also think it's lovely. You've got you've got Steve Pemberton in the wig for once, which is you know yeah. weird that it's not Reese, but <laughs> um, but you know he, he there's wonderful makeup, really nice character work, and there's something really um, they're stock characters on the surface, but they're completely three dimensional, deep and human. And I think especially when you're thinking about oh, there's a, a middle class guy doing quite well, and there's a, a tramp or a homeless person that that could be the end of the conversation um and then you can still do the twist there but they spent time going the homeless person isn't just identifiable as that mm. there is lots going on and actually the fact that he has the power at the end of it there's just something a little bit socialist in the kind of awareness that everyone's three-dimensional and that we shouldn't pay, paint everyone yeah. as kind of stock characters even though these two actors are famous for creating brilliant bizarre stock characters yeah. And I, there's something really lovely about that as well. It feels yeah. like a kind of socially responsible piece of, of work. And this slow burn twist, I think, is fantastic. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Tom and Jerry. I also thought it was lovely that it's kind of an homage to Tom and Jerry being the most famous cat and mouse in yeah. the world. Yeah. And it is a game of cat and mouse. Yeah. And you don't realise that until the end. Because, yeah. um, you know, often you, you see the title and you go, well, that doesn't mean anything. And then, of course, by the end of it, you go, oh, way. Yeah. It's amazing. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. There are a lot. There's lots to kind of to mention. I I, I love the, the, the Tom ends up living in the bath at one point, yeah. and um, uh, he becomes agoraphobic and can't leave, and then um, loses a sense of personal hygiene. But also, there's something about the fact that anyone can be homeless. The fact that Tom's mental health deteriorates as a result of the manipulation of yeah. uh, of Mig. Um, you you have this realization that we're all only a couple of missed rents away yeah, from, from homelessness yeah, that was yeah that was a big thing i got from that episode like, was yeah just because you think that i've sorted is yeah. is it's not an identity it's a circumstance mm-hmm. and that circumstance can become your identity if the systems of classism are such that it criminalizes you for 
being unwell or not having the income you need or not having yeah. the paperwork you need and just how stupid and ridiculous that is yeah um yeah i enjoyed that as well um i don't know if there's anything particularly huge that i've missed out that you want to mention but um i would nice. thoroughly nice. recommend you go and watch it it's a great great episode and a lovely slow burn yeah absolutely yeah. um great uh yeah so i think my my second one um my number two uh is going to be uh the uh 12 days of christine which i think is uh, the um second episode from the second season uh and uh yeah i honestly for me it's one of the most moving half an hour of television that i've, I've ever seen uh it's probably like my favorite sharon smith performance I've I would, seen. it's definitely my favorite yeah um uh just yeah a, a tour de force performance by her um and it, it, it's essentially it takes place over uh, 12 different important kind of events in this character Christine's life uh, each of them are 13 months apart so it keeps fast forwarding about 13 months 13 months 13 months and it's you know from from a um uh, like a Valentine's Day party where she meets this guy and uh, you, you know they get together get married have a kid and it's all this kind of woman's life um and it's great because you have no idea where this is going to go but it's like, season two. no clue it's season two so you know there's going to be a twist by this point we've had seven seven episodes of this show at this point um and you get you start to get the slight inkling that something's not right about five or six minutes in. literally the first five minutes it's the setup is a bbc sitcom rom-com mm -hmm. that's the vibe you get uh uh, Steve Pemberton playing the gay best friend brilliantly as he loves to do yes, in this show. He really does. Um, um, uh, of of Christine, um, and you get to, you really get to know all the characters and the relationship with their parents. Like it's another thing as well. I want to say about this show in general is how quickly they develop character relationships and your yeah. investment in them is phenomenal. Like but six seven minutes into this episode, you know all of those relationships and what they're like uh, uh, how economic they are with their writing to create yeah. that is is phenomenal there's not um, a word wasted because no. they can't you can't yeah. there's not time to, to no, do that because they're telling big stories in 28 minutes you know um so things start to then seem a bit off she starts seeing sort of this kind of figure um or there's a point where these like cracked eggs are just like appearing in mm -hmm. the kitchen um and she's not quite sure what's you know so there's always something slightly off um and uh 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 i can't remember the original name of it but um uh, time to say goodbye the song uh originally a piece of classical music from the italian name oh yeah it. um yeah. but that comes in every now and then as well but at slightly odd kind of moments and and as the episode goes on things just start to get more and more off um until you realize and i don't want to say because people might not have seen the episode but it, it it's just so beautifully done the ending uh Conte um Conte Portiro it's the original bam 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 that one yeah. um so uh by the time you get to the end that motif has become really powerful you understand all these relationships you're you're in so invested in this character 
that when you realise what's uh, happened and what this whole episode is about, um, yeah, it's really, really moving. Um, I think it is... I literally cannot watch it without crying. Um, and I've seen it about five times now. And it's just... It, it is about the time time to say goodbye that's literally what it's about yeah. um and, and, and i, I, I say I, too much more because... i think you're right not to not yeah. to uh give away the twist on this one because even though we do kind of often say there are going to be spoilers and yeah. fine it it really is just a perfect yeah. um and, and off, uh, quite a lot of people haven't seen this episode no but quite a lot of underline fans i know who yeah. just kind of missed this i think it was a bit too early on perhaps or uh, you need to watch it with the twist um yeah. yeah it's very emotionally moving yeah and I'd, I'd i'd be very surprised if people get it because it because it's very it's structured very cleverly that what happens is kind of a million miles away from yeah your thoughts because because they've already set themselves up that they're dark and creepy and so you think it's going to go down that road yeah um, but it's not necessarily what you think it's going to be uh and it's yeah yeah just yeah it's 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 a stunning, stunning piece of drama and a stunning performance by Sheridan Smith. And I think that's the first time I realised quite how talented she was because I was like, oh, what? From two pints? Yeah. Like, sorry, she's the darling of theatre world now. And yeah. then, like, seeing that episode and I go, oh, no, okay, she has a lot more range than what was on display in that sitcom. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Um... I think what also is great casting, right? And it's again something that that Pemberton and Shearsmith do really well is celebrating the beautiful complexity of ordinary ed- everyday life. Yeah, like as much as they have this homage to showbiz and the theatre, actually the focus of 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 all of their work is the kind of how complicated it is and difficult and beautiful it is to be just an ordinary person doing ordinary things and. You know, that's why often it's backstage if it's a theatrical yeah. event. And in this yeah. case, it, it is just, you know, it's in this flat and it's about Christine's life. But it's about how much all those little moments mean and what yeah. they add up to and and how they shape who we are. And what does it all come down to mm-hmm. at the end of the day when all is said and done? And I think that that is something that just not many people who, you know, create television can do very well or or and also i think one of the reasons for that is because it's hard to sell um you, you know how do you sell to a producer what's this about or, or nothing you know you, you can't really yeah. do that unless you've got a huge name attached to it and you in and a, and a load of hollywood money and they managed yeah. to do it on on a half hour sitcom budget with uh, a great working class comic actor Sheridan Smith and we're all in absolute pieces and mm-hmm. you know questioning our life choices what yeah. a great way to spend a Tuesday evening yeah you know um, it's, there's a lot of power in that ordinary everyday stuff yeah um, that's a great episode that highlights that but it's also a, 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 a masterful filmmaking yeah. right the editing yeah yeah, yeah. is yeah. Yeah. is incredible Incred- yeah incredibly clever Um, yeah again without giving uh too much away i would just say there is a huge um i think it is hugely influenced by uh a film called jacob's ladder with tim robbins that came out in the early yeah. 90s um and yeah i met for those of you that have seen that film you might get maybe what this episode's about now but yeah it's it's a very similar twist in that film um that you just do not see coming and is incredibly powerful i i, I actually 
it reminded me a bit of Eternal Sunshine, Sun, Sunshine as well. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. Eternal Sun, Sunshine of the Spotless Mind with with Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet, which which and that doesn't give anything away because it, no. it's not it's not uh, that film, but there are just elements of that. What kind yeah. of made me think, hmm, yeah, yeah. There, there are, there's kind of parts of that. Every time there's a lens flare. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's there's a they get that off kilter, almost dreamlike thing that I think. Yeah, uh, you know Kaufman does in in uh, Eternal Sunshine very well. Um, uh, that he, yeah, there is sort of like objects that are slightly wrong in places that they shouldn't be in, like you yeah. have in a dream. Like some things are slightly off, and but it's very subtle. And it's in the background, or it's you know, yeah, very clever. Or yeah, like and time frames as well being slightly off. So you yeah. follow this thing, and there's a point where you know you. She, when someone breaks up with someone but then she seems to be back with that person again or mm-hmm. some you know a, a, a parent or grandparents passed away and then they seem to be alive again but it's later on and you go hang on a minute that's not it's like yeah so it's very clever but um yeah uh, again none of that is enough to by the time you get there even to have told you where you're gonna go but um yeah it's, nice. yeah, it's just it's just brilliant 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 episode all right, my number two, Bernie Clifton's dressing room. <laughs> Bernie Clifton's dressing room is my favourite for uh, loads of reasons, but it also, as David knows very well, I have a I have a great kind of romantic attachment to variety and music hall and pantomime and uh, working men's club kind of comedy, and and I don't I, know really why. I think that's why you like snooker so much as well. I think it's all part and parcel of the yeah. same thing. Yeah, it is. Mm. It, it's that world um, yeah. that I've never been a part of <laughs> ever in my life. Not in my childhood, nothing. Um, but it's something my dad uh, grew up... He is an actor as well, and he entered showbiz in variety in summer mm-hmm. season and touring mm-hmm. the country from 15 and 16. And so a lot of stories about his life are all around. I was doing this variety show and there was this double act here and then I got to work with Morecambe and Wise or then I got to work with Bruce Forsyth and, yeah. and they all became quite famous people. And I think also what is attachment to me and that nostalgia to me is that Saturday Night TV was made up of people who came from that as well. People like Les Dennis, people like yeah. Bruce Forsyth, people like Jim Davidson. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, not necessarily nice people when it comes to Jim Davidson. No sad loss that he's not on television anymore. But there was something uh, uh, th- that was in me as well. And I could kind of connect that Saturday Night TV to my dad's past and history and the difficulty of what it was like to kind of to get on stage and actually do that job and how tough it can be, especially if you're from a working class background and you haven't just walked out from Cambridge into the RSC and had a nice, you know, uh, job in rep yeah. and then went into films like so many of the kind of grand dames and, um, uh, you know, grand old men of, of British showbiz have done. This episode, I think, really celebrates yeah. that part and that vital part of show business where does it start where do people get their breaks and and the journey of that and what it can mean for particularly working class comics um uh and in bernie clifton's draft dressing room we we focus um on uh, a double act of the past yeah, a fictional it, double act i was gonna say it also meant that reese and steve pemberton could age themselves up which they loved doing <laughs> which they loved because it's an excuse for makeup 
Um, we have two characters um, called Len and Tommy, and is it they che- cheese and crackers. Cheese and crackers, absolutely. Um, uh, I think Len uh, is cheese yeah. and Tommy is crackers. Um, and they uh, thirty years ago. Uh, this Northern Double Act appeared on stage together at the Glasgow Pavilion. Again, everything's called a pavilion. And yeah. just, I just love it. Um, uh, end of the pier kind yeah. of uh, stuff. Um, uh, and what also, happened 30 also, years ago was also Tommy... for me, anything called uh, 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 Winter Gardens yeah. or Pleasure Gardens as well is another one. That's, yeah. yeah. It's where people went on holiday and yeah. they, needed some, they needed some entertainment. Yeah. You know, you go to Eastbourne and you still yeah. got those... Uh, uh, kind of venues or or um, Blackpool, yeah. uh, Glasgow, uh, Brighton Pavilion. You know yeah. there are lots of kind of and actually yes, where all snooker championships are played. Yeah, yeah. apart from the yeah. Crucible. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. which it's gives them a bit of class. But yeah, um, so yeah, uh, it's been thirty years uh, since um, uh, Len work, walked out on uh, on Tommy. Uh, sorry, Tommy walked out on Len at a performance at the Glasgow Pavilion. And what's happened is, uh, 30 years later, the two of them are reunited in a church hall. Um, and uh, Len's got a kind of an old variety hamper of uh, of, of of costumes uh, and props, which in showbiz are always called skips. Yeah. They're called the, the, the old wooden wicker skips. Um, which you don't see very much anymore. But I don't know if you've ever seen The Woman in Black. Mm, that whole show yeah. is they're sitting on an old theatre skip. Yeah. Um, yeah and yeah, inside yeah. all the costumes and come out. It's a big one for GCSE drama. and People go and see it at school and stuff. Um, so so it's a, right from the off. It's introducing you to that tradition. Um, but of course they're older and it looks like Len is a bit worse for wear. Mm-hmm. Um, he's drinking. Uh, clearly an alcoholic. Um semi-homeless living between places um and he's trying to convince tommy that they're going to get a reunion because they once nearly got a deal with itv or in those days granada tv and it all kind of went wrong um and they talk about what happened in bernie clifton's dressing room which you kind of only really find out that eventually uh due to kind of you know this alcoholism and this uh kind of hard showbiz life um that he was living that Tommy couldn't Len was living that Tommy couldn't put up with it um, and so it's a real kind of joyous play two-hander play where you get to kind of get these two experiences of these two people's lives and you know Tom's gone off and joined a media company called Angry Tomatoes there's yeah. lots of kind of like yeah. comic uh, uh, social commentary going on there about what life is like now and what do you do to and I know people who who you know were super successful and then suddenly their act became dated or unfashionable yeah. and wasn't popular anymore and they, they fell to pieces because they didn't know what to do. Yeah. They didn't have anything else. And also, especially something that happens to working class comics an awful lot and same with working class rock stars, um, uh, is that you get used to this fame and your money and you don't really know what to do with it. Sports uh, happens all the time to basketball players, football players, uh, boxers, people who suddenly come into you know a fair bit of money and have a bit of success and and can't cope with not having that buzz anymore, not having that opportunity to perform and what it does to your life. And so it's a real love letter and homage to the world of not just theatre, but specifically kind of variety um, uh, industries. Um, Les Dennis talks about that a lot, actually, coming from that and having to constantly reinvent himself every single time. Um, He's just about to perform with the ENO uh, in the new Gilbert and Sullivan as a lead. 
and he's kind of wow. going, I know what you're thinking. Can he do it? Well, come along and find out. You know, because <laughs> yeah. you have to keep doing that because yeah. you can't just do what he did, which was Family Fortunes-esque kind yeah, of yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. Um, or, or And, and he's, he's very good at satirising himself, as we've seen from extra, yeah. extras. Um, yeah. He's marvellous on, on that. Um, but I was thinking about that because it's interesting because it all... As, as brilliant as that was and him doing that, it, it almost meant he couldn't then yeah. go back because yeah. we've so many people it out. watch extras and seen that, even though that's it's a, a fictionalised version, but seeing this sort of, yeah, naked, depressed man in yeah. a dressing room, yeah. you kind of go, I can't, you can't do the family fortunes thing now anymore. So you've got to, yeah, change it up. But, oh, wow, I, that's, I didn't know he was doing that. That's amazing. Yeah, isn't that? And he's also Hairspray. Um, of he's, course, uh, yeah. he's, he's doing Turnblad in, um, yeah. in Hairspray. So, uh, yeah, someone who's kind of constantly embedded themselves and cope with that pressure. This Bernie Clifton's, Clifton's dressing room is what happens when you're part of a double act and one of them leaves and you can't, you know, function on your own. You don't have that choice of reinvention. Yeah. What happens? What's the psychological, financial toll of that? Um, and... Uh, there are some wonderful routines in it. There, mm. I mean, genuine. There's a song and dance routine. There's a hat and cane routine. There's a very old fashioned, uh, uh, like a, a bottle sketch. Um, yeah. um, it's a real walk down memory lane, or f- in my sense, not my actual memory, <laughs> but, but of stuff that I read about and and, yeah. and watched on TV and performances like that, or heard about from older actors that I work with. Um, there is a huge twist yeah. at the end. Um, which again on this occasion I'm not going to give away no um, because it, it's beautiful and it takes what is what is a really fun satisfying moving half hour and turns it into quite an incredible story yeah about what happens if you I think you know I haven't really had many people in my life who I've cut ties with or held mm-hmm. grudges with but if anyone has a t- has a grudge or has cut ties with anyone that they were close to, watch Bernie Clifton's dressing room and make sure you've got an hour on the phone with whoever that person is <laughs> yeah, afterwards yeah, because yeah. it will make you want to pick up that phone yeah. and actually just reconnect yeah. with people who are important to you. Yeah. Um, a bit of a weird bit of trivia about this episode. Mm-hmm. I was reading that apparently one of the inspirations for it was um, an incident that happened on Celebrity Big Brother in 2014 where Jim Davidson accused one of the Nolan sisters of her husband stealing something from Frank Carson's dressing room really and apparently that the whole how that came about the conversation that happened and, and apparently yeah Pemberton was saying that was a bit they both ended up seeing it and that <laughs> informed quite a lot of the episode great. Yeah. yeah Frank Carson great yeah uh, you know, another kind of name yeah um, but, but yes but also yeah talks a lot about how much it, it's a complete love letter to them their own childhoods growing up in the 70s that's who they would have watched with right? all yeah. that double act stuff and how much they love canon and ball and people like that yeah, and, yeah. um and apparently the song that they sing at the end yeah. tears of laughter yeah uh which they wrote Pemberton and Shearsmith did they it. yeah because they wanted to use a Neil Sedaka song which I can't remember the name of it but the BBC laughter in the rain yes laughter in the rain but the BBC said no too expensive but they wrote their own one they wrote their own one yeah and i and i and, and you know what they apparently i uh, the the routine's incredible yeah, and i was like oh they must have got some feet double in there for because yeah. there's great tap work and stuff yeah, like that yeah. and apparently no they of course they didn't they drilled they themselves didn't. silly to actually do it yeah it's that it's drama school isn't it drama school mentality never leaves you 
yeah, you want to do it properly and you've yeah. got to work hard. Also, just worth mentioning, they only have a week to film each episode. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's the same, not just the same budget, but the same model as a half-hour yeah. sitcom, which means you get one week to film half an hour. That's an awful... I mean, considering a film takes three months minimum to yeah. shoot an hour and a half feature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or an yeah. hour and 20 feature. They've got a, a quarter of that time. It's a phenomenal. Um, and I think their directors do a great job on this. David Kerr, yeah. uh, Guillaume Lores, um, yeah. it does a lot of them. Um, Adam Tandy is a producer, obviously, but also... Uh, the fact that Reese and Steve direct an awful lot themselves mm-hmm. as well. Uh, just phenomenal skills, uh, time management on this. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, really good. Sorry. Yeah, Bernie yeah. Clifton's dressing room. What a lovely show. Yeah. What a lovely yeah. episode. Great, great episode. Um, okay, so we're on to my top one. Okay. Okay, this is my favourite episode of Inside Number 9 ever. I think it is one of the greatest half an hour of television that has ever, ever been made. I think it is a masterpiece. I think it should win awards if it hasn't uh and it's a quiet night in second episode of season Beautiful. one it is uh, i can watch it again and again i've seen it about 10 times um yeah. and and i get something new every time out of it and it is just i love the audacity of creating a half an hour piece of television in you know the uh 2010s that is completely silent um, save for the beautiful score um, that is used throughout, uh, yeah. uh, but there is uh, uh, not. Well, there's one, I think, spoken line of dialogue at the very, very end, um, uh, and uh, I love I, the ingenuity of how they explain why everything is silent. So it's not just like it's a silent movie. Yeah. Um, it, it there's reasons for why you never hear anyone talk. And yeah. it's just for, and and they keep playing with that, and they keep teasing that they're not going to be able to do this for half an hour. For example, it's only about halfway through where one character actually sees another character because there's a knock on the door, and character opens yeah. the door, and you go, "Well, how are you? How is this gonna? You how, uh, and then of course the character that's on the other end of the door, played by Kay Van Novak, they're from Phone Jacker and things like that. Um, uh, holds up a sign and says, "I'm sorry, I'm deaf. I'm selling cleaning yeah. products." And you go, "Oh, of course." Of course. Of course. Brilliant. Um, so it's, yeah, it, but it's a lovely nod and calling themselves out on 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 it as yeah. it's happening, yeah. which is something they're so both so good yeah. at. So yeah, so it's 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 essentially a story about two pretty inept cat burglars yeah. played by Shear Smith and Pemberton um, trying to attempt to steal a piece of artwork from Dennis Lawson, who's playing this millionaire person, this beautiful, beautiful modern uh, house. Um, and you've got uh, Una Chaplin playing his wife. Um, there's a slightly odd bit where it, there's like this reveal that she's trans. Yeah. And that's, that's an odd, that's, yeah, it's, um, yeah, really interesting. And and there, they seem to be having a massive row, uh, which you never hear um, for very kind of clever reasons. But there's an argument going on and they're not meant to be back. They've come back to this house. So obviously, yeah, you've then got Pemberton and Shearsmith trying to hide and steal the painting mm-hmm. without them being caught, and all and 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 there's absolute elements of slandor farce in there, uh, French farce, um, obviously silent movie uh, homages, um, Chaplin and Buster Keaton and, and all that. Laurel and Hardy, Laurel and Hardy, and yeah, it is yeah. is all in there. Um, but it's also yeah, it's quite a sad story because 
Dennis Dawson and Nina Chapman are playing it absolutely straight, and it's this yeah. quite dramatic Love. sort of yeah breakup thing that's happening yeah. as well. But that's all silent, and it's all through sort of wistful looks and the yeah what the words unspoken kind of thing. And you've got this beautiful I can't remember the piece of music, but it's it's just one piece of music really that plays throughout the whole half. So it's an opera suite, suite, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, that's just it's just lovely. Um, and and yeah, and again a brilliant brilliant classic inside number nine twist at the very end yeah. um uh involving Kayvan Novak who's great in this as well um who's also great sorry I just want to say he is in an episode so so remember Skins yeah so Skins did this thing and I can't remember what it was called but they did a thing where it was like following like them as adults they did and it was a little standalone episode oh. and they did one about Effie Tony's sister yeah um, who I think is a quite big actress now in like America. Um, oh. She was lead in that awful alligator disaster film that I, for some reason, saw at the cinema. Never um, heard of that before. Uh, I've... Kea, Kea Scodelera, I think her name is. Um, but yeah, she uh, uh, played Effie and she gets up getting enrolled in that insider trading in the city. Oh. Um, and he plays her boss that kind of gets her into it. And it's excellent. I was like, I can't believe that's phone jacker that's ridiculous <laughs> like he's so good yeah um um and yeah and, and he's he's uh, uh brilliant in this as well um yeah and i just always think that's yeah it's great this guy that i thought was just a sort of prankster person yeah actually a genuinely really good actor no he's a yeah he is he is really good um and someone who's also like famous for doing silly voices he's actually got that I, like, it's really nice to see I him wondered if that's normally knowing Cheer Smith and Pemberton as well I want I feel like that's a deliberate thing that they've cast someone that is that essentially got his a voice break actor. doing a voice yeah. and making him play someone that's like that, that is essentially mute um yeah. yeah just just brilliant it's a yeah very very clever episode incredibly skillful and quite artful beautifully shot as well yeah uh, yeah, it is, it is beautiful. Is it is beautifully shot. Yeah, um, because it means so much more because you haven't got the dialogue to drive it. So you, everything is visual. Everything is being yeah. driven by the visual and and by what the score does to you. Um, so therefore, yeah, the filming is suddenly has a lot more importance than it normally would because you've got no dialogue to take you anywhere. Yeah. So it's all the shots are all the more important. Um, yeah, I, I just I remember being absolutely floored by it because and remember as well at this point. The whole world had only seen one episode of Inside Number Nine. It was yeah. the second episode of the first season. So a really had, brave thing to do. Yeah. So you'd had sardines, which is great, which is brilliant. Um, uh, about these sort of this rich family playing this essentially a game of sardines, which is like hide and seek, and they all end up in one wardrobe by the end of it, and it's all the sort of things that come to light, and and, and it's great. It's a great fun piece of 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 comedy drama, but um it didn't prepare me for for what this was going to be yeah um totally boundary breaking um uh, for the bbc at that time yeah as i say just just i love the audacity we're going to do a half an hour show and there's not going to be a line of spoken dialogue in it it's yeah. just wonderful there's something very european about it there's french and italian influences there um yeah it's 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 it's, it's i honestly think it's one of my favorite pieces of television ever made i, I adore it Fantastic. Well, well, great uh, note to finish on your last mm. one. Um, okay, my one. Mm. My top one. This was really difficult. There are so many uh, that I could mention. Like we will, you know, talk through some of the mentions before we finish. But um, my my top one, I think, has to be 
Diddle Diddle Dumpling. This is uh, an episode all about Reese Shearsmith's character and his wife, uh, played by Keely Hawes. Um, and before I kind of really knew who Keely Hawes was, mm. um, uh, and he, he's kind of jogging one day and he comes across uh, a single shoe on a wall outside his house. Um, and over the course of the episode, he becomes obsessed by this shoe and the idea of finding the other shoe because he, he's disconcerted by the fact that someone's lost one shoe who loses one shoe. Um, and he becomes kind of more and more obsessed by this. Um, and over the course of the episode, you understand that this is essentially the uh, the story of a couple who have lost a child. They have one child, but they've lost a, 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 the sibling um, and are getting over that. And the obsession with the shoe is some kind of transference of grief. That is beautiful enough in itself. The, uh, but the twist itself in the end is um, so powerful for a couple of reasons. Uh, the, the, main, the main reason is that it's slightly ambiguous, the ending. And I... And I rather than finding that frustrating, which I would have thought I would have done, because you want the payoff at the end, it, it kind of is, is for me, I think, even more beautiful. Um, which leads me to the main reason why I love this episode. And I think, for me, it's the most astonishing performance from Reese Shearsmith as an actor. I think to be able to portray a journey of one man's grief uh, and the couple going through that grief and what it means to them, what it means to them financially, what it means for them uh, as parents of the surviving child, mm. what it means for your day-to-day -day life, how you interact, how what that means for your work situation, how your friends deal with that. As Steve Pemberton plays a friend who comes in and tries to kind of help with the, with the idea of work and finance and, and going back to work after a grieving period. Things that just aren't, details that aren't really discussed in dramas. You know, when someone loses someone, they're sad and you see how sad they are and then eventually they get over it and that's that. But no one talks about how complicated and difficult it is to take time off and bereavement and mm. the healing process that isn't really much support for especially if you're a man and you think in some way because of gender roles and, and societal patriarchal pressure that you're there to protect and provide for your family and when you can't do that what happens to you what happens to your sense of identity and watching this man crumble is phenomenal and in my head i talk about it as if it's a feature yeah. film yeah but i it's it, but i remind it, you it's half an hour yeah. 28 minutes yeah. that they've done this and Kitty Hall's performance is phenomenally nuanced as well. How do I feel about my husband? Well, I'm grieving as well, but I also want to support my husband who's grieving. However, I also need him to step up and be the patriarchal figure who yeah. can provide for his family and who can uh, have a sense of identity and pride. And how do I balance this resentment as well as the shared grief that mm -hmm. we're going through? Mm -hmm. What does that mean for our romantic relationship, let alone as a union, as a marriage? It's so complex and complicated that by the end of the episode, I felt so moved and I think I said to you earlier mm. the way you feel about 12 Days of Christine mm -hmm. I completely resonate with it and, and I think it's a phenomenal episode and a great piece of television but in terms of things that move me I'm not moved very often by things I'm always aware that I'm watching something yeah. fake and I just found this really really moved me yeah. um, it, it really 
affected me emotionally and mm. I think for that reason it has to go into my number one uh, you and I were lucky enough to see Reese Shearsmith live on stage in a production yeah. of The Dresser yeah. uh, with Ken Stott um, wonderful uh, old play and, and fantastic um, film as well with Albert mm-hmm. Finney and Tom Courtney um, uh, essentially a two-handed play yeah. um, uh, about a relationship backstage in dressing room so you can see why Reese Shearsmith oh, yeah. would do it right yeah. Um he was phenomenal in that play, and that really was, a, was, you know, an incredible, yeah. you know, two and a half hour tour de force by by both actors, and you kind of have to because the play is 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 so great, yeah. Um, the way it's written, but I actually think his performance in this was better than than watching him live on stage for two and a half hours. It was so good. It was yeah, just it, brilliant. It's a phenomenal, yeah, it's a phenomenal performance. Um, and again, I don't want to tell you the twist. Um, and if I did anyway, you might have a different opinion of what you think the yeah. twist was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, um, yeah, very true. That ambiguity is something that's quite rare in number nine, and and, yeah. and 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 I found it even more satisfying because of that. Um, but it is, it, yeah, it's a wonderful display of human emotion, humanity. Yeah. Notwithstanding the fact that it is still part of an anthology that's about comedy, so there are gags in it. There are always yeah. jokes in yeah. it. They can't help themselves. No. I think yeah. even at some points where you go, really, did you need that gag there? Like, yeah. if they can get you to titter, they will. Yeah. And normally there's always a reason for that payoff. Yeah. So those are my top three. Um, some honourable mentions. The first one uh, that you mentioned earlier, Nana's Party. Yeah. I think it's just brilliant. I had no idea it was based on a sitcom that yeah. that, that didn't work. I'm yeah. so glad that didn't work now because we have that <laughs> standalone that. Yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, but also wonderful performance from... Um, uh, Lorraine um, uh, Ashburn, Ashbourne Circus. She's married mm-hmm. to Andy Circus. Um, she's just phenomenal playing this kind of alcoholic auntie and, yeah. and the sadness within that. Um, very, very, very funny, moving. Um, on the surface, it should be essentially the half hour sitcom model, yeah. but it's so much more than that because it's written by them, because yeah. it's inside number nine. It's always so much more and quite heartbreaking yeah. as well. Um, but also you can see bits of Steve Pemberton coming off Benidorm and like putting yeah, bits of yeah, that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. northern working class humour into it, which made me laugh. Yeah. Uh, an awful lot. Yeah. Love that. Referee's a wanker. Yeah. David Morrissey. Absolute yes. stonking performance from him. Yes. God, I'd forgotten that one. That's really, great. really moving. Yeah, that was that was just last year, wasn't it? That was the last That was the last series for this, yeah. I think probably my favourite of, of last season. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I don't know, it's tough though. It is tough, yeah. Uh, for me also, Riddle of the Sphinx. Um, yeah, great that's, performance that's from in my um, honourable mentions as well. Uh, Alexandra Roach, yeah, who's um, who was in the the Dennis Kelly uh, Utopia. Can I tell? Yeah, can I tell you? Now, for years, for a decade, you've tried to get me to understand how cryptic crosswords were. <laughs> yeah, this is the this episode made me get it. Yeah, his yeah. explanation of to her how they work. That was like, lesson. oh my god. Yeah, I get it. It's very clever. Yeah. It's a yeah. It's a love letter to crosswords. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is because Pemberton loves crosswords. Yeah. Um. And also, th- th- they were saying um in that interview, uh, well, one of the interviews I watched them, that quite often when they've got a series to write, they'll mm-hmm. sit in an office together. Yeah. And just go through the paper and see if any story has kind of come to light. Because when you're writing under pressure and you've got a deadline and the budget's yeah, tight yeah. and you've only got a week and you've only got that actor for a certain amount of days, you know. The pressure must be enormous to keep coming up with amazing twists. Yeah. And also make it funny and also give yourself an excuse to wear a wig. Like, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. But they said it takes roughly a week to write and a week to film. Yeah. So from from inception to performance, it's 14 days of work. Yeah. Ridiculous. That is phenomenal. And for it to be the quality it is as well. 
yeah. is just nonsense. Um, yeah, the Sphinx, Riddle of the Sphinx, great one. Um, uh, I think we're both fans of Devil of Christmas. Yeah, great. I thought great, that was a really innovative twist. piece. Great twist. Um, and and also the the again talking a lot about attention to detail, like yeah, the 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 like the quality of the film that they use is so accurate. Oh. to yeah, I can't believe that isn't an old film from the sixties, seventies. Yeah, it's a kind of an homage for the play for today. Yeah. Um, do I mean play for today because that's the radio one, isn't it? Uh, yeah. No, yeah. There's, yeah. There, I think there's some. Yeah, they yeah. used to be always a. You know, once a week there'd always be a play that they'd film and put on the BBC, and you yeah. end up seeing really great performances. And um, Lee J Cobb did Death of a Salesman for the BBC play for today, and you're like, that's yeah. just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, which again, she has been Pemberton, and you know, grew up on, and and uh, the tiny little things that would go wrong, little props going wrong, or things falling down, and the de- yeah, the details, yeah. absolutely incredible for that one, um, and. Uh, my last honorable mention is uh, one that I just rewatched today. Uh, we watched together the bill, mm-hmm. um, partly because you've got Jason Watkins in it, who who oh, ended up being so part of the main cast in in Psychoville, yeah, um, uh, which I kind of forgotten to be honest, um, and uh, Philip Glenister, yeah, um, who uh, just it's a wonderful uh, uh, kind of quartet. You were saying something really interesting about the research on this, yeah. So yeah, so. Uh, uh, Pemberton and Shearsmith cite David Mamet as being a huge influence and they I mean, look at it as their northern mamet, which I guess is interesting because when I was watch when we were watching it earlier, I kept thinking about Pinter, and there's a lot mm. of people that say that those two writers are very kind of intrinsically linked to that like kind of the British. Yeah. Kind of Pinter, yeah. Yeah. That Pinter's are in, in many ways a British mamet, or I should say Mamet's an American Pinter. Um yeah. uh chronologically, I think that makes more sense. Um but uh, yeah, in in terms of being very interested in the uh, uh, transactional relationships of men and toxic masculinity yeah. and and competitiveness in in male environments, you know, when you look at things like Guy Glenn Ross or or House of Games, uh, yeah, uh, that's very much in Mamet's work, and I can see I hadn't thought of it at the time. But you can in retrospect you can see. totally see i didn't see it at all but now yeah. i'm like oh of course it's house of games of course it's yeah. that yeah. uh yeah that that toxic masculinity um yeah really really lovely and yeah. also i love the fact that because each episode is of our in nine is a con that yeah. we're enjoying being conned by Shearsmith and pemberton there's something really nice about the the fact that this show is almost a instead of a play within a play it's a con within a con yeah absolutely um yeah yeah so for me um yeah i also had uh as i say uh riddle of the sphinx as well um i also had uh, uh ah, yes the one i wanted to say about my number three that i if you remember back along i said that i was absolute i was absolutely uh kind of in between two about my third choice and I ended up going with Zanzibar, but the other one, because I do think it's very mm. similar in terms of introducing a theatrical convention to a wider audience, which is what I think Zanzibar is Shakespeare, is actually the first episode of this current season, Wuthering Heist. Yeah. And what it does do to, with Commedia dell'arte. And like, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's Reservoir Dogs, b- b- but it, mixed with 16th century Italian comedy drama and i'm like i don't that's how does that work yeah and it is so meta 
like they call out the the fact that it's an episode of Inside Number Nine and that it's the sixth season, so they're running out of ideas. Yeah, like it, it's yeah, it's it's phenomenal. It, it is. It's it's got loads of kind of intertextuality in there and nods yeah. to other shows and uh, it, extremely clever. Um, and and yeah, that letting the audience in, I think, is so satisfying yeah. for us, right? Um, yeah, uh, I also have to have and to hold, which is uh, one of the bleakest darkest episodes i think they did which is oh on my the goodness. surface you think it's about the just the loveless marriage of steve pemberton and uh his wife and i've completely forgotten the actress that plays her but um it's just a brilliant actress um and as the episode continues you realize that there is something a lot darker going on that again yeah. i am not going to give away but oh my god it's it's horrific um yeah it is so gross. yeah yeah that's uh yeah that's another one that i'm uh really it's um yeah i i love that i love the letting us in um kind of thing as as well there um i think oh, i'm trying to find the name and of the you, you 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 can feel that there's a kind of distance between them um yeah but it's not clear and you can yeah and and you don't know what's going on and, and there's moments where you don't even know who the kind of antagonist is because it, uh, nicola walker of course it's nicola walker nicola walker of course yeah she's brilliant walker. yeah uh that is an incredible episode i also love the understudy um yeah. which yeah. again uh, i don't know if everyone w- would love it if they, uh, but but certainly everyone i know who tends to work in theatre or be involved in showbiz in some way, loves the kind of accurate detail of what it's, it's like backstage of a theatre. It's the minute the neighbour says, I don't know how you learn all those lines. Oh, yeah. He says, exactly. oh, my husband's really funny. I've taught him he'd be quite good on so You know, all those things that you get from non-theatre <laughs> people. That you're yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, just brilliant. Um, uh, yeah, uh, Thinking Out Loud as well, which was, I believe, from last season, um, which was done an episode and it's all a series of different people doing vlogs. Yeah. Um, and just because I, I love the fact that they're really pushing, yeah, the kind of innovation. Form and structure. Form and structure and what they can do and, yeah, how that all links together and how they all, those different videos link together. Because it's all different ways of that vlogs can happen as well so it's you mm-hmm. know someone's do it someone's a youtube makeup tutorial girl you know someone is is uh a man with a terminal illness that's leaving a message for his unborn son that he's never going to meet you know mm-hmm. so everyone's doing these different someone's doing like a, a, a dating video you know so they're all these different things and ways that you would be directing a um, direct addressing a camera and i just yeah. really clever how that all weaves together um and then the last one i want to mention which would probably be my number four if we were allowed four, because it is just, again, so different to anything else they've done, um, and and it, and is 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 a great just piece of dramatic work, and that's Love's Great Adventure, which is them doing a Ken Loach. Uh, oh film, yeah, which is just beautiful. There's no twist. I completely forgot about that. There's no darkness. It is it is a Ken Loach, Jimmy McGovern kitchen sink drama, and that's what it is. And there's it doesn't change it's it's that for half an hour and you yeah. keep going oh when's it gonna get inside number 90 and it doesn't it's just them going we really wanted to make a ken loach thing so we did and it's just beautiful. this beautiful story about this family struggling to make money to get these christmas presents in the run-up to christmas um mm. but you know and there is stuff going on and there is a little bit of mystery because there's these this story about one of the 
children and there might be kind of drugs being involved and things like that there, there's a twist there is in a, but, but but it's, it's not a huge reveal no. it's something that is laced with it throughout the story that, that adds yeah. up yeah. and and again there's ambiguity there mm-hmm. because they don't it's it's it, it's not definite what's happening it leaves yeah. you to piece the things together because again yeah. what you're saying about tom and jerry the actual potential twist if it is a twist happens within the first five it's or just, ten minutes yeah. And if you are paying attention to conversations that have happened, then one of the final lines that seems like a potential throwaway line, yeah, you realise that links to something that maybe has happened that is quite sinister, but yeah. you don't know that. And, and, and it's not done in that overtly sinister way that a lot of the number nine episodes are because they love all that macabre stuff and Vincent Price and all that kind of thing, you know. Um, it, it's done in a real 80s northern working class kitchen sink way um, yeah. and it's just a play it's just a half an hour ken loach influenced play and i yeah it's, i love that episode brilliantly beautiful. yeah and, brilliantly and, done. and i think for my money i think it's pemberton's best performance in all of inside number nine i, I think would it's agree. It outstanding piece of acting from him yeah um in a very different role yeah, and I remember uh, uh, Steve Hamilton saying that he particularly enjoyed that that uh, that episode, partly because he got to work with actors who had come from a soap background, and mm-hmm. he, he says that actually there's a, a lot of incredible drama acting yeah. in soap actors, often because the scripts aren't that great and they kind of make them that great, but, yeah. but also because they, they really understand what that level of drama is about and the depth of character mm-hmm. in a way that a lot of day players don't. And, and I think that they... Yeah, it's, you you really get to see that um, in this episode, uh, and also important to acknowledge the roles that soaps, as often they get trashed and often they you know deservedly mm-hmm. so sometimes and sometimes unfairly. And I think one of the great things that soap operas offer is the tele is the rep of television, the training yeah. ground for for phenomenal actors um, to to you know to emerge through that. Um, yeah, Do you know, so I I never really I think I watched maybe I watched Neighbours when I was a kid. But other than that, I've never really watched soaps. Um, the same. I was neighbours, but that was it. Yeah. Um, except, and I don't even know why it happened, but one night, randomly, I decided to just watch an episode of EastEnders. Uh, I guess this must have been when I was about 16, 17. Um, and the episode I happened to watch was bizarrely a bottle episode of EastEnders. <laughs> it was all in real time. Wow, I didn't know there was one. Yeah, it's, it's all in real time. And the whole episode is Shane Ritchie going around Albert Square trying to find a shop that has a pack of condoms. It's his first night that he's going to sleep with Kat Slater because oh, that was the yeah. big love story of Alfie and Kat. And it's the first night that they're going to sleep together yeah. and he, but he doesn't have any protection. And the whole episode is him having a series of philosophical conversations with shopkeepers. It's, it's utter, I was like, this isn't Easter. What is this? It's so bizarre. Right? Yeah, but I, just, I was like, this is brilliant. I love this. Um, but again, yeah, something that because soaps are long running, every now and then they'll be afforded a little bit of freedom to, to do yeah. something like that. Um, but yeah, uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, that's, um, I don't think we can say much more about Inside Number Nine, really. No. Other uh, than how much we gushed about what, how amazing it is. Watch it, enjoy it, definitely watch the episodes that we mentioned. If you haven't seen them, they, they are wonderful and we'd love to know what you think. Yeah. As always, we love it when you get in touch. It's just an amazing experience because you feel like you've watched 
eight different TV shows, not just episodes. You know, you watch one season and number nine, and yeah. you've watched a horror, a comedy, a drama, a farce. You know, uh, all contained in these different episodes. Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't even mentioned the, the Halloween Chris. special or yeah, you know, the little Halloween's... kind of. There was yeah. an online special that I haven't seen actually. No, I've not seen um, it. But apparently, it's maybe the same. Uh, team he put together the psycho girl online episodes which right. quite interested to see yeah. how, how that worked with a bit of audience interaction yeah um, having just made a, a, an interactive online uh, yeah. project it would be quite yeah, interesting yeah, yeah. for us to look at that now perhaps yeah absolutely um but yeah yeah so i mean every every episode every episode is good even the one that i said i didn't think held up that well and i think that's kind of because of jack whitehall i think he brings it down a little bit like a shame um yeah uh even that one is good. It's just, I think, maybe not as outstanding as all the other 33, whatever it is, episodes are. Yeah. So, so, yeah, just go and choose. Watch them in any order as well, because it doesn't really matter. Um, I'd be interested. I wonder if anyone's ever done it online. Like, if anyone's, like, worked out, like, an optimum order, like, what kind of journey the mm-hmm. best order of yeah. watching all the episodes so far is. Um, would be interesting. Um, but yes, yes, uh please do let us know uh, if you're an Inso number nine fan, what your favorite episodes are, or if we've inspired you to go and watch it, let us know what you think. And you can get in touch with us uh, in the following ways. You can find us on Twitter at Macabre Podcaster. You can get in touch with us on Facebook, fb.me forward slash podcast macabre. You can find us on uh, email, send us an email, podcastermacabre at gmail.com. And of course, do like, share, subscribe to this podcast, to the Jonathan Creek podcast, uh, to all our output on Anchor, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. In the meantime, I've been Callum Hughes. I've been David Shopland. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.